Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store, or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in this show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. Why tithe 10% of your income to invisible people? It's just not logical. If you elect me, Jock Cranley, as your governor, I'll make sure your money doesn't go to things like water or health care for people that don't deserve it. During my time at the top of the box office, I sunk as low as a man can sink. Drugs, multiple women, real sense of entitlement. So I know how to manipulate our economy. I was a real action hero, and using those skills, I can tackle any municipal budget. Listen, I've base jumped off skyscrapers. Trust me, I understand the intricacies of city planning. My opponent, Sue Murray, is a know-it-all shrew who actually thinks helping people is the best way to help people. Vote for me, Jock Cranley, and help yourselves. This message paid for by Jock Cranley for Governor. Your professional life as an executive is spent on a corporate treadmill. Why work out on one? Channel your rage into something positive at the Queensberry Boxing Club. After all those meetings where you've restrained yourself from smashing another doofus with an MBA in the face, now you can take up the noble sport of yuppie boxing. Take out your aggression and harken back to a simpler time when a man like you would have fought with his fists, not his legal team. It's artificial and controlled masculine posture just like the rest of your life. Plus, there's something invigorating and uniquely manly about giving another yuppie brain damage. Come by the Queensbury Boxing Club and find out how the fight game can bring out the ultimate player in you. All right, squad, we are back with part four of the Colorado Skinwalker Saga, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Things have taken a weird turn. Last night was bad. I'm laying in bed, and I have been for most of the day. I'm 100% emotionally spent at this point. I feel so bad I almost didn't update, but I couldn't leave you guys hanging like that. I just want explanations. I'm so tired of not knowing what's happening. I put off talking to Will about everything until we were able to sit down with Steve Friday, which was yesterday afternoon. The general consensus has been that Steve should be present, which I agreed with. So Steve was there to help me tell Will everything. At first, he seriously thought we were trying to pull off some kind of shitty prank on him. It took some convincing for him to realize we were telling the truth. Then he got upset, like I knew he would, that I hadn't told him what had been happening while he was gone. After the three of us talked extensively about it, we decided to not get the cops involved just yet. Not until we have solid evidence to balance out some of the more unnatural things. This whole conversation took place around the kitchen table in our house, and we spent the last night here in our house as well. We didn't want us to, t- to be run out of our own home, as he put it. I couldn't expect him to be experiencing the same amount of uneasiness that I'd been feeling for the past few days. This is all secondhand news to him, and while I know he trusts Steve and I, I'm sure it was still hard to process. I know he's trying to take a logical standpoint like he does with any sort of crisis, but I also know the whole thing unnerves him. He did agree the lights and the trail camera were a good idea. I probably wouldn't have been able to stay in the house without them. Steve helped him install everything yesterday afternoon. There's now a light in the kitchen by the back door, out on the back deck, along the south deck where the house was getting smacked when the thing was there, and on the front deck. We decided to put, a, put up a camera along the backyard fence. There's about three yards of clearing between the fence and the tree line. Anything that comes into the clearing should get picked up by the camera. I wanted to try to put up some harmless booby traps around the place like a few, like a few readers had suggested. Not something to catch the thing, but to indicate if anything had come close to the house. Will talked me out of it since we have the camera and the extra lights and he's home now. I think he feels it's his job to protect me in the house now that he's home. Steve had dinner with us and went home. Danny is still at his place. As hard as I tried, I could not coax her to leave with me. She's been a basket case for several days now. She was so anxious I didn't have the heart to force her to come home. Steve brought her some mild sedatives from work and that seemed to take the edge off of her. 
He told us to let her stay for a day or two and hopefully she'd be back to her old self and want to come back. He's a vet, after all, so we agreed that that was for the best. He says she's been cuddling a lot with him and his two dogs. It's hard for me not to feel a little hurt, though. My dogs are like my kids, and suddenly the middle child doesn't want to be home with us anymore. I know better than to blame Danny, but it doesn't do much for the resentment I feel towards whoever or whatever has decided to disrupt our lives. Will and I carried on as normal yesterday evening. We avoided any more talk of the odd thing that occurred in his absence. After we cleaned up the kitchen from dinner, we settled on the couch to watch a movie. During the movie, we opened a bottle of wine and had probably way too much, but it felt nice to loosen up for a change. With Will back, it was easier to unwind a little bit. I let Nina and Big Ben outside once more before bed, and they were quick about it again. After they came in, I went around checking each door and window and securing the curtains in place. Will watched me do this, looking a little bemused, but didn't say anything. I climbed into bed and sat down to, re to reply to comments from you guys on Reddit. I have to admit that by this time, I was a little tipsy on wine. I think it was about 11.30 here when I called it a night and laid down to sleep. I must have only been out for a few minutes. When I awoke, I was really disoriented. It was hot, stuffy, and I was having a really hard time placing the time and day. It was pitch black, and only when something stirred at my feet did I comprehend that my dumbass was completely under the blankets. Something nudged my shoulder gently, and I remembered that Will was back. I poked my head out from under the blankets for a breath of air. It was so dark in the room I could barely tell if my eyes were open or still closed. Will was nothing more than a dark blob against a dark backdrop. Amelia, he said my name in a hushed voice, are you awake? <laughs> was all I answered. A glance at the clock revealed it was just about two in the morning. I wanted to go back to sleep. My head felt heavy and kind of hurt a little bit. Hooray for alcohol. Are you okay, he asked. <sighs> I replied. I reached down and felt for Big Ben. My hand found his shaggy coat and I felt quite content. I don't think at that point I even remembered weird things had been happening. You were mumbling in your sleep, Will told me. Sorry, I said, really wanted nothing more than to drift back off. It's okay. It didn't really register at the time how concerned he seemed. The next bit I've had to have the next bit I've had to have Will help me piece together. The next time I woke up, it was the awful sound of a scream. Just before the screaming, I heard somebody calling my name, only it wasn't my name. I can't explain it, but it woke me up. I was in an instant state of terror and confusion. A light was blinding me. I remember realizing in shock that the scream was mine, coming from my own mouth. I wasn't in bed or even laying down. I was on the front deck, facing the woods. I had no recollection of having gotten there. I had set off the motion light, so it was hard to see much. Something hit the back of my legs rather hard. I stopped screaming. Now I was just hyperventilating. I glanced down to see Big Ben pawing at my legs and feet, but I felt too scared to move. I don't think I've ever felt more vulnerable in my entire life. I was facing the tree line, and even though I couldn't, couldn't make out much but dark objects in the darkness, I was sure something was moving between, between the trees. Then there was a tug on my shirt. Big Ben had the hem in his mouth, and he was shaking it with his teeth. He seemed almost panicked. Panicked. Now that I was more fully awake, I didn't need any coaxing to go back inside. I turned a bucket back in and ran smack into Will. He looked frightened, and he was carrying the revolver. He quickly slammed the door behind me and locked us all back in. I was shaking all over and just wilted to the floor and started crying. Will sat on the floor with me, making attempts to soothe me, but I couldn't stop sobbing. He kept telling me that I had just been dreaming. But I knew what happened wasn't normal. I never, I have never slept walk in my life or had a night terror. But it seemed I just experienced both of those things in the same night. I don't even remember what set me off screaming. Big Ben Bat sat beside us, periodically licking the tears from my face. Will just sat there with me while I cried everything out. I don't think he knew what to say. I rarely cry, and yet here I was, bawling my eyes out. I felt very much threatened by this thing, now more than ever. Something caused me to go wandering beyond the safety of the house, unprotected, into the gaping mouth of the darkness outside. I feel like I lost all control, and like my body had betrayed me. Will eventually coaxed me back into the bedroom. That's something I barely remember. I think I blocked it out, and he got me to settle down. Big Ben stretched out on the bed and nestled his head onto my stomach while I laid there trying to calm myself. 
Nina was at the side of the bed looking concerned. She eventually climbed into the bed with me too, curling up in the tiny spot at my feet. Will settled back into the bed and apparently I nodded off pretty quickly. I'm surprised I fell back asleep so fast, but I must have been exhausted. I had another dream, and this was a good one though. The same dream as a few nights ago when that warm, shaggy something was laying across my body. No creepy figure in the doorway this time though. When I woke up again it was daylight. Will was sitting in the bed with his laptop and Ben hadn't moved from my side. After I woke up a little I asked Will to tell me everything that had happened. He told me I kept mumbling nonsense in my sleep and it woke him up a few times. The first time was the time I remember, then it happened twice more. He couldn't really figure out what I was saying and most of it made no sense. But he did say there were a few things that he could distinguish. First I kept saying, don't, don't, don't. That was when he woke me up, but I have no memory of sleep talking. Then I asked him, still in my sleep, if the door was locked. At one point I'd said something like, not me, or it's not me, and then called for my grandma. <laughs> then he said that he woke up abruptly a while later because he thought he had heard me gasp or sigh loudly. It was hard for him to know for sure because he had been sound asleep. He had reached over to check on me and found empty space in the bed. It freaked him out pretty bad, not only because I wasn't in bed, but also because that meant the source of the sound probably hadn't been me. But his biggest concern was the fact that I was missing. He had taken the revolver off the nightstand because something felt off to him. Those were his words. As he checked the bathroom for me, he realized Big Ben wasn't around anymore either, and that the front door was ajar. He was headed to the living room to look for me when I screamed. He said that even though he knew it had to be me screaming, it didn't quite sound like me. That there was a primal quality to it that scared him senseless. He said he felt a terrible sense of dread and panic when he saw that I was outside, and the first thought, and first he thought Big Ben was biting me, but then he realized he appeared to be trying to keep me from wandering further outside. I felt like I was sick after hearing this version of events. It was like it was like this was the proof I needed to confirm it can't be human, whatever it was doing this. I know dreams and sleepwalking and talking and even night terrors aren't proof of shit, but what I felt on the deck last night gives me a gut feeling at this point, and I've learned to trust those feelings. We called Steve and we let him know what happened, and he said before bed he thought he'd heard something walking the perimeter of his house. Around the time... I had wandered outside. One of the cats ran across his legs and hid under the bed, waking him up. He heard something not long after that in his half-sleep state, and it had, he had convinced himself that he imagined it, but his dogs were restless all night. And at a few, t few different points in the night, his oldest cat looked out the window and hissed. So then I called my parents, without letting on that things are as bad as they are. I convinced my mother to put me in touch with a distant relative who at least used to be a Cheyenne medicine man. If he can't help, he might know somebody that can. I'll update if I hear anything from him. We checked the camera, by the way. It picked up a random deer grazing at the edge of the trees, two squirrels fighting, and that's about it. So I, had a, so I feel pretty terrible right now. The cross that is thankfully still secure around my neck has me thinking about my grandma. She would have known what to do of this, about this, of that I'm sure. Grandma used to tell stories about spirits, both good and not so good. Now I'm wish wishing I remember better what tricks she used to say to keep the bad ones out and the good ones close by. Edit. I had to do a lot of pleading, but Will agreed we could stay in a hotel for one night. We're in a nice little place in Denver right now. Don't worry, it's a place we were able to bring Big Ben and Nina with us. Danny is still at Steve's house, and he's giving me updates every few hours. So far, things are quiet back home. I'm just looking forward to a good night's sleep. Hopefully getting rested up will help me feel will help me face this situation head on come tomorrow. I'm going to try and reply to as many of you as possible before I head to bed. You guys have been awesome and I will update again when we are back home. Edit. We're back in the house. New updates have been posted here and we'll get back to that after this break. Why aren't I more successful? What's limiting my true potential? Why aren't I more pretty? How do I get more powerful tools? Am I a descendant of craft? Why are women made from sand? Why have so many famous people sorted everything out? How much does wisdom cost? What is the Epsilon program? Kiflam. 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 We speak 160 languages on six continents. We are the Epsilon program.
Casey's Truck. We're a family-owned and operated truck driving outfit. Have you ever wanted to see the beauty of real America while popping Benzedrine and having sex with scary women in towns nobody's ever heard of? Well then, the trucking industry just might be for you. Finally, a job where you can smoke at work, poop in a coffee can and fling it out the window, and sleep at a rest stop surrounded by serial killers. Truck driving, it's the excitement of the open road, the joyful pleasures of the man alone in the middle of nowhere slowly going mad at his own thoughts, surrounded by society's flotsam and jetsam. Contact Buddy's Trucking and live the rest of your life out on the road. 10-4, good buddy. Well, those are two of my favorite things. Ben's Drain and Scary Women. Anyway, I believe we're now on part five. Will went into the woods today. I need to tell you guys a little bit more about my grandmother's. My grandparents on my dad's side were Irish. That's where I inherited my red hair. I'm of the daywalker variety, not a soulless ginger. Ha! My grandma and grampy oof, are both gone now, but I was always very close to them. Grandma used to tell me stories, fairy tales really, about Irish spirits and shit. She was an extremely superstitious woman. She had a lot of old books about charms and things that could help ward off bad spirits. She wore a necklace, a horse amulet, all the time. I never once saw that woman without that necklace. She was buried with it. She was a pretty devout Irish Protestant. Ugh. Try not to hold that against her. And her religious practices sometimes got lumped into her more metaphysical ones. I don't talk about politics on this show. One time, staying overnight at her and Grampy's house, I woke up to what sounded like a door slamming. I was about six. I remember wandering to the top of the stairs to see what the fuck it was. There was Grandma, kneeling at the front door, reciting the Lord's Prayer while she sprinkled salt in the doorway. She saw me and told me to go back to bed, and I did. The next morning, when I asked her what the noise was, she told me the Dullahan was wandering outside somewhere. The Dullahan is basically the Celtic version of the Headless Horseman. Needless to say, I was scared, but Grandma told me she would protect me from spirits that roam the world. On my mom's side, my grandmother, or Mama, was a Cheyenne Indian. Now, when my mom and dad were married, Grandma and Mama hit it off pretty well. They liked to sit around and talk about these otherworldly beings that they believed in. The Cheyenne culture and the Irish culture are, of course, very different, but somehow Grandma and Mama's beliefs meshed well. I was close to Mama as well. Her husband passed away before I was old enough to remember him. Wouldn't that be your grandfather? Mama was a cool person. She smoked pipes. What kind of pipe? Eh? Eh? That's a low-hanging fruit joke, but I don't give a shit. She smoked the shit pipe and made her own moonshine. Maybe she was smoking the shit pipe. And she liked to sneak me chocolates when my parents weren't looking. She always smelled of lavender and tobacco and always had her long hair in a single braid, which she tied with a pink ribbon at the end. Mama and Grandma both had some pretty spooky stories for me growing up. And there are some strange things, stranger than the whole Dullahan thing, that I remember happening, but those are stories for another time. I'm telling you all of this because of what happened today. Will has been brooding about my sleepwalking incident since Friday night. It upset him so much that he wants me to go see a shrink for some anti-anxiety or sleeping pills or something. We actually had a small argument about that when we got home today. I don't take pills unless I'm sick, and I don't think that pills would solve our problem anyway. Treat the symptoms, maybe, but probably not. I tried to convince him that there is something else happening, and it's not in my damn head. Now he's saying when he heard me sigh or gasp in my sleep that he might have been dreaming. I can't blame him for wanting to seek out logical solutions. I just wish he'd stop short of implying that I'm imagining this. He wasn't here for the majority of these events, but we argued enough that he took Nina and went on a hike into the woods alone to blow off some steam. I made him take the revolver with him. He rolled his eyes at me, but at least he took it. After they left, I let Big Ben out to do his business. He seemed a little more willing to meander about, like dogs do. I sat on the back part of the deck and let him roam as he liked for about half an hour. It was sunny and I found myself dozing off in the warmth. That didn't last long though because Ben came trotting back on the deck and dropped something at my feet with a loud clatter. It didn't do much for my nerves or mood, so I sat up to pick up what he had brought me, because sometimes he likes to play fetch with sticks, 
but what I saw wasn't a stick at all, but a deer antler. I've found antlers in the woods before, but none this close to the house, and I was sure Ben hadn't wandered very far. It's not that weird, but given everything else that's been going on, I can't help but think about it. Shit, wouldn't it be nice if the sounds I'd been hearing were just some cranky stags looking for a place to shed their antlers? Probably. I let Big Ben have the antler to chew on because they're excellent chew toys for dogs, but made him come inside while we waited for Will and Nina to come back. We weren't in the house ten minutes when somebody knocked on the front door. My first thought was the mailman with a box. But you know, thanks Harry Potter, no post on Sundays. (laughs) Then I noticed Ben wasn't barking. He usually goes nuts when somebody knocks. My second thought was it was Will and he'd forgotten his keys. Big Ben seems to recognize the knocks of people he knows, which is pretty cool. I went to the door and opened it without thinking twice. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I saw a tall, unfamiliar woman standing on my doorstep, I freaked out a little bit. Big Ben stood between me and the stranger, wagging his tail like she was his best friend. She was fairly young, very pretty, and had long black hair. The woman must have realized I was a little taken aback, because she spoke before I could gather myself well enough to form words of my own. I'm so sorry to bother you. My name is Jess. I'm here because I think my grandmother might have been on your property a few nights ago. Ah, you lost your grandma again, huh? I was absolutely floored by her words. I didn't even know how to answer that. In spite of everything that had been happening lately, I did not take the stranger's sudden appearance as anything but benign. I invited her in. Oops. Ben was all over the woman as she followed me into the kitchen. He was licking, jumping, and pawing her. I was half afraid that she was going to tell me that he had been their dog by the way he greeted her. It was like he had known her. I finally got him to pay attention to his new prize, the deer antler, while I got the woman named Jess a drink and sat with her at the table. I'm so sorry, she started, and she looked embarrassed. My grandmother lives with me, and she isn't very well these days. She's showing signs of dementia. She wandered off sometime early Thursday morning, and I found her walking back down the driveway at 6 in the morning. It was only last night that I finally got her to tell me where she was. And she said she was here, I asked her. Jess nodded, looking more embarrassed than ever. She said, I went to the new house on the other side of the woods to burn sage. I can't believe she did that. She's not been herself for a while, but this is really unlike her. I didn't know what to say, really. I was thinking about what she meant by the other side of the woods. Jess seems to have read my mind. We live about four miles to the east, she told me. And your grandmother walked all the way here? I asked in disbelief. She nodded, and back. I thought about that for a moment. It made sense I hadn't met them. Before we moved in, I had made it a point to acquaint myself with the people who lived nearby, but the east is thick woods and some of the roads aren't even paved. Oh no. I had no idea that there was anybody actually living out there. What time would your grandmother have been here, do you think, I asked. It could have been as early as three in the morning, Jess answered. I racked my mind to remember the timeline from the last week. Wednesday night was the first night I'd stayed over at Steve's. The woman would have been here when I hadn't been. It surely couldn't have been her making those noises. And then something made sense. She had been burning sage. I had smelled the smoke of burnt sage outside the house when Steve and I had gone back the next day. I knew I'd smelled it before, but I hadn't made the connection before now. Mama used to burn it all the time. Was that the only time she was here, I asked. Jess nodded. I had to put a padlock on the front door after that for her own safety. I can't say how sorry I am. I really hope she hasn't disturbed you or harmed anything on your property. If so, of course I'll pay for your damages. I just shook my head. No, nothing was damaged. It's just... I hesitated. I was about to tell a stranger about the weird things that had been going on, but something made me think it was safe to talk about that to this particular person. It's just that since last Monday night, there's been some really weird shit happening around my house, I finished. Jess looked a little concerned. Weird shit. How? I told her everything. I mean, everything that's been going on. It was weird talking to this stranger sitting in my kitchen about this, but at the same time, it felt good to get it out. I finished with telling her about how protective Big Big Ben has been lately. Jess listened intently and looked at Ben. She studied him through slightly narrowed eyes. It was odd to me how passive he was towards this stranger. Jess looked at me and hesitated before we spoke again. These voices, do they call out to you? Call your name? I'm not sure. It happened when I sleepwalked. I wound up on the front deck, though, and thought I saw something in the trees, I replied. 
She frowned a little. Something about her long, raven-black hair and sharp facial features were very familiar. Your grandmother, is she native? I asked before I could stop myself. How did you know, she asked. The sage. My mama used to burn it all the time. She was Cheyenne. Jess smiled. So was mine. So then you grew up hearing the stories. Some of them, yeah. Jess nodded and reached down to pet Big Ben's head. He accepted her touch like he'd known her for ages. Then maybe I should tell you, Jess said. Tell me what, I said. She studied me for a moment, and there was something almost fretful in her expression. I wasn't going to mention this, but given your heritage, you might not find it so weird. You must understand, my grandmother, her mind is not what it used to be. She's almost a hundred years old. She wanted to come with me to see you and tell you this herself, and I didn't think it was a good idea, but she insists she had a dream about someone close to the owner of the house, and that someone had a message. I was feeling pretty uneasy at this point, but of course I had to hear it. Who was the message from, I asked. From a woman, my grandmother said. It was a woman with a pink ribbon in her hair and a pipe, I think. My grandmother said the woman was looking for her little red fox, Jess replied. I think I almost fell out of my chair hearing that. I tried not to show how freaked out I was, but my hands were shaking. There's only one person in the world who's ever called me Little Red Fox, and she's been gone for three years. What was the message, I asked. She looked at me, paused, and then apprehensively said, It was, stay out of the woods. I'm Don of Don's Country Store, where you want to stop shop for night crawlers, stink bait, Animal calls, fishing license, deer way station, mashed liquor, rocking chairs and shotguns, fireworks, Burley's world famous pies, Civil War memorabilia, reading material, castor oil, VHS tapes, and the newest fax and telex machines. We also offer hog feed, chicken feed, and Merlin's Hominy Grits. We have patriotic items, too. We are the center of a thriving community. Stop by and set a spell. Don's Country Store. The future is now. The future is in the cloud. Cloud computing. What's cloud computing? Imagine a computer you share with everyone. Imagine your private data spread around the world, being shared equally with everyone. It's the cloud. I'm in the cloud. It's utopia. Nothing can possibly go wrong. Imagine instead of your own computer, it's a giant one we all share together. Your data is safe. It's in the cloud. Everyone's in the cloud. Live life surrounded by the mists of time with Cumulonimbus Computing. The cloud is hard to describe. You can't see when you're in it. And when you get close, it disappears. Where'd the cloud go? Now, when your data is damaged, you don't need to fire the IT department. You can fire the Internet. You're fired, Internet. We've taken the metaphor to extremes because when you're in the cloud, lightning won't strike. It's Cumulonimbus Computing. I'm really in the clouds. You're in the clouds now. Part 6 I'm an emotional wreck right now, but I'll do my best with this update. I'm sorry for making you guys wait to hear the news. Yesterday, after a conversation with my new neighbor, I was pretty rattled. Obviously, hearing a message from who I believed was my mama, who was dead, was just unreal. The message itself, stay out of the woods, was even more unsettling, of course, especially since Will was currently out there. Jess advised me to go get, or to get him home as soon as I could, and definitely before nightfall. The general consensus on here was also to get him home soon, and to make sure it was my will. Jess left, but we exchanged numbers before before she did. We're going to meet again, and I think I'm going to meet her grandma, but more on that later. With Will thinking I possibly needed to be medicated, I decided not to overreact. I know I should have gone looking for him right then and there, but I had a while before dark, and I figured he'd likely be back within the hour anyway, so I followed the advice here and called him, asking him to please come back immediately so we could talk things out. Remember, we'd had an argument before he left on this hike. He said he was about two miles into the trail we had been he was about two miles into the trail we'd been working on and he turned around and he would turn around and come back right then. So I figured that was enough. I sat down and wrote yesterday's update while I waited and tried not to worry needlessly. Then I got an early start on dinner while I waited. Then I called Steve to tell him the latest news while I waited. Then I realized I had waited for far too long. It should have only taken Will an hour to get back. The woods are thick, but he's an excellent hiker, and he's pretty fast. 
When I realized over two hours had passed, I got scared. I tried calling his phone, but it rang until voicemail picked up. I tried three more times. Texted, please call me. We usually have surprisingly decent reception out here, and I knew something was wrong when he didn't answer. I called Steve back to let him know what was going on and that I was going to look for Will. He didn't want me going alone. I stayed on the phone while I watched out the window. I could see his truck coming up the road within minutes. He brought Paxton with him, his little hound mix, who's an excellent tracker. And he brought his shotgun. I grabbed my hiking backpack, which always has emergency supplies in it, water, first aid, flashlight, bear maze, so on and so forth. Steve, Paxton, Big Ben, and I set off in the direction Will had headed on his hike. And surprise, surprise, an afternoon thunderstorm was approaching. We could hear it in the distance as we pushed through the thick brush. It could be he got turned around up in here. We should we should yell for him, Steve suggested. So we did. Every hundred yards or so, we'd stop and yell for Will and Nina. Then we'd pause and listen. There was no answer, so we'd move on. I had a hat of Will's that Steve would periodically offer to Paxton to sniff. Paxton would nose, would nose at it and charge ahead, looking for a scent. I whistled for Nina almost constantly. If Will had fallen and was hurt, Nina was the kind of dog who would stick with him. If she heard me calling her, she could lead me to Will. About 40 minutes into the woods, the skies opened up and beat down rain. The trees provided some cover, but it was such a heavy squall that we were soaked within minutes anyway. And it was loud. The rain hammering down, combined with the occasional rumble thunder, was making it impossible to hear much else. Steve and I had to walk side by side to be able to hear each other. I was getting upset fast. I didn't know how Will would be able to hear us or us him. I wound up pulling my emergency whistle out of the backpack and blowing it, hoping the sound would carry if Will was close by. About ten minutes after the rain began, Steve stopped dead in his tracks and threw his arms out to stop me. I nearly collided with it. Big Ben halted at my heels and growled. What is it? I shouted above the rain. Listen, Steve called back. I strained to hear, heart pounding, hopeful that Steve had caught Will's voice through the storm. I heard something, that's for sure, but it wasn't Will. There was something screaming, not words, just screaming, like a panther scream. Only I know we don't have panthers anywhere near here. It was impossible to tell how close it was with the storm distorting things, but the sound made me shake with fear. Steve and I exchanged alarmed looks. He didn't have to ask if I had heard it too, because my face said enough. The scream came again, and again, and one more time after that. At that point, I had a hard time believing this was happening. I honestly thought it was some deranged serial killer or something messing with us. Steve still held his shotgun, although it was impossible to to know where to point it. Towards the sound, dipshit. The next part happened quickly. Big Ben snarled and took off into the trees. I yelled for him to come back and grabbed at him, but he was too fast. He was out of sight in seconds. I started crying and yelling for him until Steve yelled at me to shut the fuck up. He pointed to Paxton, who suddenly had taken off in a different direction. He found a scent, Steve shouted. He grabbed my sleeve and yanked me onward, trying to keep up with Paxton. I wanted to yell for Big Ben and Will, but with the running and the hysterics, I could barely breathe, let alone shout. I tripped on a root, hitting the ground hard, but Steve helped me back up, and we kept pursuing Paxton. We could barely keep the dog in sight, and then from nowhere, Nina was bolting from the bushes. I felt an intense sense of relief upon seeing her, and she and Paxton met and ran forward, and there was Will. I was so relieved to see him, it made me cry even harder. He was on the ground, fully conscious but hurt. Steve and I dropped down on either side of him. His left knee was swollen, and I knew immediately it was his old soccer injury that had taken him down. It's good to see you guys, he said. Let's get you out of here, Steve replied. We went about helping Will wrap his knee up in a support bandage. I cracked cracked open one of those instant ice packs for him. And the whole time, I was listening, hoping I wouldn't hear that scream again. I knew Steve was thinking the same shit. He wasn't wasting any time helping patch Will up. Will kept asking me why I was crying, but I couldn't couldn't tell him. I just kept saying I was okay and not to worry himself. The rain let up until it was a light drizzle. We got Will on his feet and headed back towards home, and Steve was helping support him along the way. I started calling for Big Ben. Where is he? Will asked. I don't know. He ran off into the woods. Steve and I exchanged a dark look. I felt so hopeless and suddenly vulnerable. I didn't appreciate how safe Big Ben had made me feel until he wasn't there. Paxton and Nina stuck close as we walked, but there was no sign of Big Ben. We thankfully made it home before dark and without hearing any other voices. Without a word, 
The minute we got Will into the house and onto the couch, he began packing a bag for us. Will asked me what I was doing, and I told him there was no way we were staying in the house for the night. I wanted to go to the hotel again, but Steve told us we could stay in his guest room. I think the poor guy was afraid, as we were, and didn't want to be alone at that point. I looked at Will, expecting him to argue, but he had a very dark look about him. You heard it too, didn't you? Screams, he asked, looking from me to Steve and back to me. I stopped and exchanged a glance with Steve, who looked fearful, and we both nodded. Will shook his head like he couldn't believe what he was about to say. It sounded like a wounded animal. It was close. Real close. I felt sick. Something very bad was not only messing with me, but with my loved ones now. My home, the land surrounding it, it was no longer safe, and I knew it. And now my best protector was missing. It sounded like something being tortured. I don't even want to think about it anymore, Steve shuddered. Do we call the police? I mean, that could have been a person. A dangerous person, Will said. And what would we tell him? Steve pointed out. Will nodded, finally forced to admit that something terrible was following us, watching us, and might be even something that wasn't human. How did you fall? Steve asked. Right after I heard the screaming, I started running back. Nina was so upset. We started to run towards home when I fell over something. I dropped my phone somewhere, too. Nina scared, uh, Nina scared it off, I think. She was snarling like crazy. He patted Nina's head appreciatively. I couldn't bring myself to talk about it anymore. I was too scared, upset, angry even. I finished packing a bag for Will and I. I changed out of my wet clothes and found I had cut the shit out of my knees when I had taken the fall. I patched him up quietly while Steve tried to convince Will to have his knee looked at. He refused, as I knew he would, insisting the painkillers from his last injury and some ice would allow him to wait it out. We loaded up the jeep before it got totally dark and I left the gate open to the backyard and a bowl of water too in case Big Ben came back. We called for him from Steve's deck for half an hour, and we waited for him throughout the day today, but he hasn't shown up. I can't stop thinking about him. I want to go looking for him, even though the idea of going into the woods is terrifying to me at this point. But you know what? I might go anyway. Big Ben would do the same for me. I've had enough of this thing. Whatever it is, it's time to fight. I felt awkward doing it, but I called Jess today and told her what happened. Sunday after she left. She thinks I should come meet her grandma as soon as possible, and I think she's right. I had that dream last night about something laying on my chest. It was warm, fuzzy, and comforting, just like Big Ben was curled up in like when Big Ben was curled up in bed with me. Only this time, when I woke up and reached out, my fa- hand found nothing but blanket. That's sad. Small update: no Big Ben yet. There are storms coming through here tonight, so I doubt he could hear me calling, even if he was close. I'll be meeting Jess's grandmother tomorrow, the lady who apparently wandered onto our property last week. I don't. Know if she can help me find Big Ben, but hopefully she will know more about what's stalking us. Thank you guys for the kind words and the positive thoughts. Yes, I was watching these two chicks give each other a head while I was pissing on the other one. But I'm doing it because I hate myself. You don't understand. I'm the victim here. That's right. You're a sex addict. Hi, I'm Leonard Etcher. Buy 13 Steps to Heaven today. 13 Steps to Heaven, the profound book that will change your perception of addiction. Selling your 40,000 square foot mansion? At Windsor Real Estate, we are the home of super prestigious real estate in Los Santos. Our experienced and knowledgeable professionals work hard. We look up some mansions on the internet, get the keys, give you a tour, and then make 6% on the back of the biggest investment of your life. Live the dream. Be the best you possible. For the man who isn't satisfied with one roof over his head, he wants several, preferably with a cinema, bowling alley, two pools, health club quality gym, meditation room, swinger grotto, punishment dungeon, 7,000 bottle wine cellar, moving sidewalks, 47 places to watch television, hidden cameras and two-way mirrors, no bookcases, a shark aquarium, exotic petting zoo, and 18-foot rotating bed. Windsor Real Estate. Real estate at the highest price imaginable. It's who you are. Part 7. Things aren't really right with Big Ben not around. I've been in the car up and down these roads calling for him. I still have a water dish out for him and his antler he was chewing on the day he went missing. Last night when I was calling calling him from Steve's deck, I thought I heard him coming through the woods. 
There was definitely something walking around out there. I started getting that feeling that I was being watched, but I gave up for the night. We're still at Steve's and have been thinking about all of us going to hide out at my parents' place for a few nights. Danny is glad to have us around again. She barely goes outside anymore, though she won't. And she won't go without Nina or Steve's dogs. In fact, none of the dogs want to be out of each other's sight now. Steve's cats are acting weird, too. Jules, the oldest one, climbed into the beams above Steve's loft space and cried every time somebody tried to coax her down. The other two cats have been hiding in the laundry room. One of them shit on the floor, too. Steve was not pleased. Will has been hobbling around today. It looks like his knee is doing better, but it's still swollen. He won't let me go looking for Big Ben without him, and with his injury, it might be a while before he can go with me. You guys are fucking useless, man. We went to see Jess today and meet her grandmother. It took us a while to get there to get to their place. The roads leading to it are dirt and the wind around and they wind around so much you can't get more than fifteen miles an hour if you're going fast. It's really a nice little spot in a little clearing in the woods. The cabin is old but solid. It felt like a safe place as soon as we parked the car. Jess was outside when we arrived. She greeted us, and I introduced Will to her. A big wolf-like dog came up to greet us as well, and my heart skipped a beat. It looked like Big Ben at first, but it wasn't. It was a girl dog named Nari. I couldn't stop looking at her, though. Part of me just wanted to sit in the driveway for a while and cuddle the dog. Grammy is out back. I'll take you to meet her, Jess told us. Wes followed through the cabin, or we followed, followed her through the cabin, onto a screened-in porch in the back. I was surprised to see it overlooked a pond. I had no idea there were any ponds around here. There were also tons of beautiful, colorful baskets all over the porch. Some were so big they stood as high as my hips, some were, some were impossibly tiny. They hung from the ceiling and lined the walls. And there was a wizened woman sitting in a rocking chair weaving a new one. She bent over the basket. Her gnarled fingers were working on her long, silvery hair flowed all the way down her back, and she had a small rose tucked behind one ear. Grammy, Jess knelt beside her. She was so old and moved so slowly as she looked up from her work. There are visitors, the ones I told you were coming. Jess motioned for us to sit on the bench opposite her grandma. The old woman looked up at us, her eyes a bit cloudy but alert. She looked at Will, but focused on me and smiled. She reached out a hand and took my cross necklace in her knotty fingers. Without a word, she studied it closely for a moment. I glanced nervously at Jess, who seemed to be nodding in approval. Grammy, this is Amelia, and her husband, Will. Will and Amelia, this is my grandmother, Sonny. I know who they are. I knew they would come, Sonny said. She was smiling serenely, like this was just another social visit. And her voice was strangely sharp, for as old as she appeared to be. She spoke with a clarity that suggested somebody much younger. Will was shuffling to get comfortable with his injury, and Sonny inclined her head to his injured leg. What happened to your knee, boy? Just an old injury I aggravated, he said. Sonny spoke to Jess in a language that was familiar, but one that I didn't understand. Jess scurried into the house and came back with a small tin, which she handed to Will. Use it for your knee, my grandmother says, it will help. Will took it hesitantly and thanked her. I knew he was still very unsure of all this. I understand you've been to my house, I addressed Sonny. She nodded soberly. I went to help. I went to protect. I was needed. It was eerie to hear her say this, but something about it made it difficult not to take her seriously. How did you know you were needed, I asked. Sonny gazed out over the pond. The one who follows you. You are not who it thinks you are. I exchanged an uneasy look with Will and then Jess. Jess nodded to her grandmother, and I took it as a sign to continue my questions. Who's following me, I asked. A dark look clouded over Sonny's face. It has many names. It's an ancient spirit. It seeks to take the life of those who are young, weak, and impressionable. It takes them, and they follow it for many years unless they're able to escape it. Some can, some cannot. So it's many spirits, I asked. Sonny shook her head. The lesser spirits who follow it... Many of them are the spirits of those it lures to an early death. They are tethered to its existence, destined to do its bidding, but they are not quite as dangerous. Without the ancient one, they are nothing more than mischief makers. I felt uneasy. Her words stirred something deep in my memory, something I'd heard from my own grandmother years and years ago. But you said 
I'm not who it thinks I am. Yes, it does not see like you and I. It sometimes cannot tell the difference. It only remembers certain things, smells, sounds, thoughts. You reminded of somebody who escaped it long ago. It thinks it was cheated. It thinks it's found its quarry again. When it realizes you're not the same thing it lost, it will be very angry, she explained. Can you at least tell us more about it? How do we protect ourselves? Will asked. Sunny rocked her chair and reached down to pet the dog who had stretched out at her side. It was almost a reflexive movement. There are things you can do. Things Leah must do in order to protect herself, Sonny said. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Will's expression change. He, Steve, and my grandma were the only ones who ever called me Leah. Most people didn't even know I answered to it. Tell them, Grammy, Jess said gently. Sonny's dark eyes fixed on mine intently. First, you must burn the sage in the house six times a day. Do this when you wake, when the sun is directly overhead, before you sleep, and each time you eat. If you hear the voices calling you, burn it then too. Burn it inside and outside the house and at the edge of the woods. I nodded. I felt Will shift next to me and sense his skepticism. I elbowed him a little bit. You do this for five days and five nights. Sometimes this is enough. If by the sixth day you have heard nothing strange, it is most likely gone. But if the voices do not leave you alone, I will have to come and try to cleanse the land for you. I will bring Jess with me. Her mother will come too, and others from my tribe. We'll drive it away for good, Sonny continued. Is that all, Will asked? For now, I think that is. Jess, please bring the basket, Sonny said to her granddaughter. Jess rose from her seat and went inside again, reappearing with a large basket in her arms. She placed it in my lap. Looking inside, I could see it was full of bundles of white sage, just like Mama used to keep around. I prepared this for you. If you run out, you come back and I'll have more for you, Sonny explained. Thank you, Sonny, I said. Will stood up. I could tell this was getting to be a bit much for him. We should get going, he said quietly. I didn't argue with him. I went to stand up when Sonny grabbed my hand with greater strength than I would have expected. She pulled me close to her, lowered her voice, and when she spoke, Your wolf dog, he's left you? I was so taken aback I couldn't speak, so I merely nodded. The wolf dog, it's because of him I knew I needed to come try to cleanse the house. He came to me in a dream, she went on. I nodded again. Part of me thought this was part... I nodded again. Part of me thought this was the part of Sonny that wasn't all with it, but already she knew things that she shouldn't have known. He's close by. He's still trying to protect you. I believe he will try to return to you, but you must go looking for him. He will keep you safe. He's one of the only things the creature that follows you truly fears. Sonny then reached into a pocket of her jacket and pulled out something which she pressed into my hand. It was smooth and cool to the touch. I looked at it. It was a little stone carving of a wolf. It was beautiful. The way the light caught it made it look like it was almost glowing. You take this into the woods with you and you keep it close. Do not go into the woods after the shadows have begun to grow long. And do not go alone. Be quick. If the creature finds you, you take this and you ask the wolf spirit to protect you. I'll keep it close. Thank you, Sonny, I replied and pocketed the little stone carving. She released my hand. Will and Jess looked taken aback. Jess didn't say anything about it at all, though. She walked us to the car, told me she'd call if she saw Ben around, and made me promise to call if I needed help. As soon as we pulled out of the dirt road, Will asked me, what the hell was all that about? You were acting like he understood her. I just stared at him like he was nuts. Why wouldn't have I understood her? He just gaped at me for a moment, uh, maybe because she wasn't speaking English? I didn't believe him. I told him she must have been talking quietly and he misunderstood her. How could I suddenly understand a language I hadn't understood five minutes before? He wouldn't let it go, though. In fact, we argued almost all the way home about it. Mama used to speak it to me some, but never enough that I picked up on much of it. Maybe a dozen odd words. It's not like I speak it fluently. I felt like one of us was going crazy, and I still haven't ruled the possibility out. I still don't really believe him, but I also don't know why he'd have any, have any reason to make that up. He apparently doesn't have any idea that Sonny told me to go looking for Big Ben. I know the message I got from Mama via Sonny said not to go into the woods... And I know I already did it once and it didn't end well, but I have to consider it. Sonny is telling me Big Ben is my first line of defense against the apparent spirit after me, and I feel like I can't afford to lose that. Besides that, I feel like I'm missing a family member. I couldn't live without I couldn't live with myself knowing I gave up on him so easy. And Sonny offered me a way to stay safe for one trip into the woods, so there's that. I guess I'm gonna have to break the news that we're going back into the woods soon. 
Thank you, kind readers who gave this post Reddit karma. I'm speechless. You guys are awesome. What will you do when you finally win the lottery? I'm going to buy a pile of blow three feet high and get really addicted. Man, I'm going to hire some junkies to molest my boss. That'll teach that bitch for sending me to HR. Start dreaming. Play the San Andreas State Lottery and have all your fantasies come true. I used to enjoy lighting up a bowl of black tar heroin at work, but with today's climate, you can't smoke anywhere. That's why I got the Electrotope electronic pipe. You hear that? It sounds like I'm freebasing smoking a pipe, but it's electronic. Looks like a bass pipe, feels like one, tastes like one, and most of all, it feels real. That's because the real chemicals you enjoy are being delivered by harmless water vapor. It uses highly sophisticated micro-automization technology to make the consuming of hard drugs healthy, discreet, and pleasurable. And it's completely safe. Pick from many different cartridges and flavors. Peanut butter-flavored meth, cheesecake cocaine, bubblegum-flavored heroin, just to name a you. Finally, there's a safe and discreet way of blazing a bowl. Visit electrotokesystem.com today. Oh, thank you all for tuning back in. I genuinely appreciate the support. This ep- uh, this last episode series has uh, taken off pretty quick, so I'm going to keep these uh, new updates on the story coming so you guys don't have to wait very long. I know that the uh, lag between the episodes has been a big deterrent for a lot of you, but with these, you're not going to have to worry. That I promise you. I also want to know what happens in the story, so uh, I'm going to read it with you, same as always, for the first time. Anyway, if you guys want to reach out and make a suggestion, please do so at Instagram.com slash DukeLand17. If you'd like to make a listener request, you can do that on Patreon.com slash Anthology of Horror. Once again, this series on Skinwalkers is indeed a listener request, as was the Cecil Hotel before it, so uh, I am doing them. Thank you guys very much for tuning back in. Once again, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so by going to Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17 and just send me a message. I will eventually get back to you. All right, guys. Until next time, you scary motherfuckers, stay spooky.